0: Very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the uh, a- Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah.
1: McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. Listen, I'm watching
2: CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power. To keep this peaceful. You know It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Simple...
3: You're listening to Yeah Na Pesaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming and today we are talking to Sarah Hightower. Sarah is an independent researcher with an interest in extremism and cults. She's an expert on Alm Shinrikyo, and uh, if you spend as much time reading the replies to bad QAnon explainers on Twitter as I do, you might have seen her referred to in something along the lines of an increasingly common refrain, maybe next time try talking to Sarah Hightower. Thanks for joining us, Sarah.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah Hightower. (laughs)
3: Let's start with uh, Alm for most of our listeners, would be familiar with them as the group that committed the sarin gas attacks in Japan in the nineties. Uh, maybe some listeners are familiar with the conspiracy theory or urban legend that they came to Australia to experiment with nukes. Uh, who were? Almshinrykyo.
1: You you got it right. They they were the uh, the death cult that did a series of biological and chemical weapons attacks in Japan. Committed multiple mass murders, and they did go to Australia, but not for nukes. They actually they tested some of the sarin there at Benjawan.
3: I think there's just some weird reference in a Bill Bryson book somewhere about nukes that has been picked
1: up by the internet. No, uh, they were trying to get uh, uranium deposits is apparently the land out there is supposed to have like uranium or something. And they, they dug, but they didn't get anything. So they uh, they made this little ramshackle shack and they tested the chemical weapons. It was like a sheep farm, I think. So they tested the weapons on the animals. Mm. That's what they did in Australia.
3: What, what was the group besides just this terrorist organization?
1: It was a new age cult. It started out as a yoga studio. And then uh, they started talking about the uh, prophecies of Nostradamus that were pretty popular at the time. And they started latching on to this this end of the world millionaires like mindset, and then slowly but surely, uh, they started trying to amass uh, biological weapons, and the biological weapons program failed. So they went to the Chemical Weapons. The Chemical Weapons Program is very successful. And they started branching out to places like Sri Lanka, Germany, America, Russia. But they're best remembered as a, as, a, as a New Age terrorist organization. So one of the like most common things you would hear after 9-11 here in America was, well, you don't see any Buddhist terrorists, do you? And it's like, well, actually, I a bunch of <laughs> Buddhists made sarin and gassed the subway. So it's, um, you do... See Buddhist terrorists. Your name
3: is How did you start researching Alm Shinrika?
1: 9-11, when people started trying to say that you don't see any Buddhist terrorists. I was like, well, I'm a child and I don't like you. And I'm going to argue with you. And here's literally just one book on the subject. So let me just read that real quick. And when I come back to school tomorrow, it's going to be screaming at all of you because I hate you. <laughs> and then I stuck <laughs> with it. Fair enough. Just like the people. You kind of, like, if you read Lifton's Destroying the World to Save It, it's like you, you kind of get a feel for these people. And you can kind of like, wow, that could have been me there. But for the grace of, like, God go I. And you have to start teaching yourself a different language.
3: What what became of the group after the sarin attacks?
1: They were mass raided by the Japanese police and Japanese uh, self-defense forces. And uh, hundreds upon hundreds of members were pushed through the court system. And the leaders were rounded up and put on trial. The trials lasted decades until uh, thirteen people total uh, were executed in uh, 2018, but uh, the group actually wasn't like made illegal, so like they didn't just outright ban the group. So the group rebranded into Aleph, and it like it's still going, and it's split up between at least three different factions now. So instead of Om Shariqio, you have Aleph, Hikari Karinoa, and Yamada Group, and it's still going, and they're still recruiting people.
2: Given their history, how how do they Recruit new members, and what do you think it means that this, what was basically a millenarian death cult, uh, emerged in Japan at the time?
1: Actually, to answer your question about how they recruit, tell me if this sounds familiar. Okay, so they go online, and they don't just flat out say that they're Om Shinrikyo, and they, they go into uh, like Facebook groups and and like online groups where people who have these various interests. And they reach out and they're like, hey, I like books. I have a book club, too. You want to come read some books with me? Or, hey, you've got a cooking club. I like curry. You want to come make some curry with me? And they bring you in. And they're like, actually, we also do yoga. Do you want to do some yoga with me? And then over time, they just slowly kind of indoctrinate these people into believing conspiracy theories about, I don't know, 9-11 was an inside job. The Seren attacks were an inside job. The Freemasons are in charge of everything. The New World Order is in charge of everything the media is fake. Also, by the way, we're on Shinrikyo, but you don't care about that now because we've already indoctrinated you. I don't know if any of that sounds familiar because I don't think any other group does that.
2: Yeah, it does sound somewhat familiar. I'm not, I can't quite put my finger on it, but oh. does this is is this like a really rapid immersion? Because I guess, well, if, if we think about uh, things like uh, Q and, and so on, it's been my kind of experience that when people First coming contact, it, it often seems to be the case that it takes a very short period of time for them to to go from you know relatively sane, I suppose, to taking on board all this stuff, just holus bolus, and becoming and and this happens so rapidly. W- was that the case with the the Japanese cult?
1: Yes, yeah, it's 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 almost exactly the same. The one time I watched somebody get uh get fooled and get pulled into Olif online on Twitter, actually and like none of us could stop it, I think it it only took like maybe oh God, like one or two weeks for the person who was basically grooming them to get them to log off and start going to hot yoga. And then they never came back and they joined Olive. Well, yeah, it really took like two weeks max, maybe.
3: Uh, what What is it that's so compelling that someone can fall down that rabbit hole so quickly?
1: I mean, they're being manipulated. So, I mean, depending, I mean, it's just like the way hate groups work, the way other terrorist groups work. You've got people who are basically like the handlers, and it's quite literally their job to to guide these people and flip them. So it's maybe not like what's so compelling. It's like, what are they being shown? Or that they're being shown what other people want them to see. That could be anything, and it could be phrased in any which way.
3: ALM also had a sort of political dimension to it. They didn't have any success, but what did they try to do politically?
1: Uh, they tried to basically run for Congress they tried to run 25 people for uh, house seats. Uh, that that didn't work. They didn't make it to Congress. So uh, Q and On is that's not distressing at all.
3: So we we do have that other parallel there, where the Q people are running almost as many or almost the same number of candidates as uh, Alm did. Uh, how do you like their chances?
1: That's um actually Elm uh, ran 25 total. Uh, right now, I think we're up to 80. QAnon people are people who have uh, like at least sort of nudged at or endorsed or retweeted QAnon stuff, trying to make it through the primaries and and get into the general election. So yeah, we're almost uh, double, sorry, not double, we're almost like four times. What Orm did.
2: I noticed that uh, Laura Loomer is one person who's will be running for office in Florida, and there was something published recently which suggested that she was drawing support from some fairly wealthy quarters. How did the Japanese cult make money and sustain itself other than running uh, hot
1: yoga sessions? I mean, if you're talking about just how the cult made its money, like uh, you got your famous stuff like uh, Asahara selling his bathwater. And uh, charging exorbitant fees for, you know, any sort of, like, initiation or just time talking with the guru. And then, of course, you you were expected, like, if you were a member member, if you were, like, a Shukesha, you had to sign over just literally everything to Om Shinrikyo. So all of your money, your land, your house, everything you had. And that made them a lot of money. But the thing is, uh, that, that doesn't really have anything to do with the political part because of the way Japanese elections work. Like, they, they didn't really have, like, super packs and stuff. So what Ohm was doing, Ohm was just doing with its own money, and there are limits to that sort of thing.
2: Q's appeal seems to be quite broad. There's, you know, uh, I guess millions now of Americans and Australians and Germans and so on engaging with this material, but it's also much more diffuse. If there's a guru, the guru is kind of very much in the shadows and just communicating through, you know, these these drops. And it also seems to be the case that there's a less, in some ways, less structured ideology where lots of people are engaging with stuff you know it's very adaptive so it it kind of whatever happens just feeds into this narrative and and there's a sense that there's people engage with it are being invited to participate like to interpret this material to go online to do what they call research and try and interpret all this stuff that's going on that that then fits into their worldview so in terms of the differences between the two groups what, what would you say that the kind of, the, the more important differences?
1: Q, quote unquote Q, the people, person posting as Q, they're sort of like a figurehead, like a leader type. They're not like the guru. They're more like the gatekeeper. See, QAnon has multiple what you could call gurus. Like all of these grifters with, with large followings on Twitter and in, running these Facebook groups, they're their own little gurus. And uh, I've lost count of how many there are because there are so many. But they're the ones who can interpret the word of Q instead of Q being the one that like can single handedly bring you the word of Trump. Like the the person with the most power in QAnon, I think, uh, would be whoever they think Q plus is. They think Q plus is Trump. So whoever's getting to post is Q plus. Like they they probably have the most sway. But you're right that it is different from Om Shuriqio in that sense. And the thing is, once you're kind of letting everybody. Uh, bring their own thing to the thanksgiving table oh man god we're seeing so much we're seeing christian identity we're seeing new age yoga stuff and the healing crystals and the and the like the white dude space aliens and nasara Gasara. it's it really is just like a giant katamari ball of despair <laughs> so it's different from home in that way
3: i wanted to ask you about nasara gassara because that's a sort of conspiracy theory from the late 90s early 2000s and i hadn't seen it mentioned with QAnon, I'm fairly sure up until very recently. Is that the sort of thing that they've just gotten onto it? Or was it always there in the background and maybe
1: I just didn't see it? It was it, it's been there in the background for quite a while. It got added to it a while back ago, like maybe two years ago. You could go like double check with Travis View, but I remember like him pointing that out and us talking about it like well over a year ago.
3: Yeah, I, I thought it was a weird one because sort of the hero of Nasara is Bill Clinton, and the Clintons are obviously persona non grata with QAnon.
1: But like the 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 big thing didn't happen, so maybe the big thing didn't happen because it was held back by Clinton and the the bad guys. But now the good guys here, so it's finally gonna happen, y'all! Woohoo!
2: Yeah, Trump Oh. For, for the benefit of listeners and myself, what is Nasara?
1: It's basically like SovSit socialism. Like, if I had to distill it down, it's like okay, what if socialism, but for sovereign citizens? It's going to be like a worldwide currency reset, and and everyone's going to get their money with the with the big currency reset. Oh God, man!
3: I sort of think of it as a reverse Fight Club because uh, apparently <laughs> all of the information to wipe everyone's debt was in the Twin Towers. That's why they had to
2: blow it up. Really? Wow. Um, it's Blaine and his mind. Yeah, that, that's highly creative. I like it.
1: Oh, have you never uh have you never looked into the Oklahoma City bombing conspiracy theories?
2: Oh, because, which one? There must be many now. Uh
1: the the one Q people are the most fond of like the one that makes me very upset is the one where like McVeigh was a patsy or mind controlled and he was sent to do it because there was information in the the Murrah building that would have taken the Clintons down for I like think like whitewater and the, the Mena, uh, Arkansas uh, drug trade, and just all <laughs> a bunch of bullshit. They'll, they'll post pictures of the blown up Murray building and say like, "This is either fake or it was done for a reason." I'm like, "No, no, don't do that, no baby, no."
2: I mean, these kinds of claims are, on the face of it, fairly absurd. But yes, they are, as we've spoken about, seemingly quite readily absorbed and. I guess other people who who aren't so credulous look at this stuff and wonder to themselves, you know, what's going on and what do I do if someone I know, a friend or family member, if I see them going down this, this rabbit hole, is, you know, what do I say to them that might actually have an impact because it doesn't seem like because the, the claims and the beliefs are so seemingly absurd, it's very difficult to have a kind of rational discussion about these sorts of things. Have you found... In your experience, there's any best way to approach these sorts of questions to address the fact that someone's beginning to believe these seemingly absurd claims?
1: Hold on one second. Let me take a breath because who? I get this question a lot, and it like it makes me want to cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's just like I, I, just like right now, while you were asking that, um, something popped up on my screen, and it's a person I don't know on Twitter asking me what they should do, and I'm like, oh my god, okay. I get those a lot. Yeah, um, if someone you love is starting to fall down that rabbit hole, you know them almost better than anyone else. So whatever approach you take, it's gonna have to be a personal one. And it's not, there's no just across the board sort of like vaccination against these things. There's no across the board treatment for these things. What you can say to them, honestly, man, I don't know. At this point, I I don't know. <laughs> So I've just tried to anchor the ones that I've been called in to help with. But I know that there are support groups out there. There are these emerging support groups. And really, like, those are the those are the questions you should probably ask people there. And uh, you should also maybe hmm. ask uh, some of the cultic studies experts like Stephen Hassan or Jan Jalilich, you know, or or, or Catherine Steiner, you know, people like that. We got to start calling in the pros. We can't just be asking random people on Twitter what to do about our mom's and pep peps.
3: You're listening to Yair Na here on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR.org.au, and 3CR Digital on your dab radio. We're talking to cult and extremism expert Sarah Hightower about Almushin Rikyo and QAnon. Something that's been a little bit strange that I've seen injected into the discourse within the Q community lately have been things like the repurposing of 5G towers. So there was this theory that uh, Trump had changed all of the dangerous Chinese 5G towers into ones blasting out a healing frequency. And I've certainly seen that uh, taking hold amongst Q people in Australia. I saw one Q person saying, anyone who threatens to burn down a 5G tower, you need to call the police on them. Because these are Trump's towers now, is there any value in uh, presumably that's been injected into this whole thing by uh, some sort of well meaning prankster? is there any merit in that sort of approach?
1: Yeah, that's actually brilliant really someone someone managed to introduce something like that to like to, to counter signal the the 5 g stuff and it and it's working
3: yeah, I have no idea how they got it into them, but it's uh, oh it God. seems to be working,
1: yeah, no that do that more of that I don't know who did that, but could you do more things like that? Because my God, that's amazing. Sorry. I, this is the first I'm hearing about that. That actually, this, I'm smiling for the first time in like seven days. Oh my God.
2: Can confirm it is a thing.
1: Y'all get on that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so happy.
2: What, what do you think? Like, obviously, you know, the world's experienced a whole series of crises the moment and i guess you know some have argued that it's in moments of social crisis these sorts of conspiracy theories really do become popular the nature of those crises are fairly well known but what do you understand to be the relationship between i guess crisis of one sort or another and the receptivity of individuals to these sorts of ideas who are you know these individuals are presumably scrambling to make sense of the world And this appears to be something preferable to the kinds of narratives or explanations that are offered by otherwise mainstream sources. So I guess what I'm asking is what's really attractive about this stuff and what drives people to embrace it so readily?
1: Honestly, what I can say is like it's kind of like a a pretty well documented phenomenon at this point. I mean, look at the sixties and the seventies and how things kind of got rowdy there. And and look what that look what that brought that brought stuff like Charles Manson. And and the children of God, and that little cult boom with that, you know. And then look towards the end of the century, more recently, and and the Y2K crisis and things like that, when people are like, oh man, everything is really messed up, and the world might end. And it gave us things like Heaven's Gate, and Om Shirikyo. and now look at what's happening now. So the wave is starting up again. Name drop Peter Turchin, but the wave's kind of kicking up again. And look what's happening. Look at all these little movements even the ones that are all kind of coalescing. like Everyone's just kind of on edge and, and kind of does feel like the end of the world is a possibility to some people, probably. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff is attractive, especially if you're cooped up in your house all the time with nothing but like two screens, small screen and large screen. You're going to kind of go a little stir crazy, right? Maybe a little.
3: So, Sarah, media literacy is something that's commonly pointed to as a major issue that's driving this phenomenon Does that ring true to you?
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, that tracks. Because, I mean, like, if you look at at the people making fun of or just, like, talking bad about QAnon and and the Q followers, you know, they either use, like, ableist slurs like QTard or they just joke about it being a bunch of boomers. But it's like, yeah, you're healing crystal pep-peps. They they didn't spend, like, their entire life on the internet. So, no, they, they don't have that literacy. They don't really know how to navigate these extremely online information bubbles and ecosystems and that like alternative fake sources of information. So they don't really know what to look out for. And oh look, Pep Pep Dun fell in in, in the bad hole. And he's just gonna keep falling down the hole until he lands on QAnon. So yeah no that that theory tracks.
2: We've we've seen over the past, you know, I guess four years, but more and more over time Uh, Trump, good friend President Trump, has been flirting with Q and and retweeting QAnon accounts, but just recently has seemingly begun to signal much more strongly that he, uh, you know, regards this as being a a worthy constituency. And and there's been an argument that one of the reasons he hasn't perhaps fully embraced it until now is because it's still regarded as some as being quite marginal and, and embracing it is going to cost him in the end. So do you think that this more open flirtation with QAnon is going to work to Trump's advantage, given that the election's just a couple of months away?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I think we're at the point where it's it's probably going to help. Whoever that reporter was who asked him about QAnon, they did not know how to phrase it appropriately. They messed up I'm sorry, but like they they messed up. They should have let one of the reporters into the press pool. One of the reporters who has been covering this for years into the press pool. They should have had somebody like Will from the Daily Beast or Ben from NBC. or God, man, even somehow the kid's like Travis in there. Or just someone with some familiarity who knows how to phrase these things. So it doesn't whip up the followers. Or make things worse. But they didn't. And now Trump's like, oh, well, they like me. That's all that matters to him.
3: And is it so bad to bring down Satanists? <laughs> right. Oh,
1: yeah. that, that
3: was sort of what I was thinking about when I was talking about media literacy. Is, uh, it goes both ways.
1: Yeah, it does. And we have some very uh, illiterate people in the media right now. They cannot read the room.
3: We also saw just this last weekend uh, protests around the world, uh, Save the Children rallies that seem to be uh, heavily QAnon-affiliated. I saw Ben Collins tweeting that uh, a lot of Q influencers seem to be denouncing these rallies as false flags or, you know, false rallies. And his view was that the QAnon people, or the influencers at least, want it to be a digital movement rather than a physical one. What did you make of that?
1: I don't entirely disagree with Ben's assessment, but I also don't like just entirely agree. I think they want to maintain power. Like they want to maintain control. They don't want, you know, they don't want the tigers to break free. I don't know if I would I I would personally say that they want it to remain a digital only movement. And obviously anytime somebody wilds out and does something that makes your group look bad, you're gonna you're gonna disavow I mean, that's just how these things work. It's how it works with the Nazis. It's how it works with, with QAnon, with the cults. Uh, if they mess up and they make you look bad, you just, that ain't me. That ain't us. Sorry.
2: Sarah, what do you think? We don't know what the outcome of the uh, US presidential election will be. It seems likely that Trump will lose, but I guess if he does, or whether or not he does, what impact do you think the election will have on QAnon and its future? Is it going to be able to... Adapt to uh, a defeat.
1: You know how, towards the beginning of the show, you asked me about om Shinrikyo and what happened after the Saren attacks, and I told you about olive and how it's still around and how they recruit people today. It's going to be the same with QAnon, no matter what happens.
3: When prophecy fails, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, that's all we've got time for. If people would like to find you online, where can they do so?
1: Uh, I live on Twitter. At Nezumi underscore Ningen, N-E-Z-U-M-I underscore N-I-N-G-E-N.
3: Thanks very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for putting up with me.
3: (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Well, we are out of here. Global Infata is up next. Here are the Waco Brothers covering Neil Young, Revolution Blues. See you next week.
0: i attack you, but I won't back you. Well, it's so good to be here to sleep on your lawn. Remember, you got dog? well, I'm sorry, but he's gone. I was such a drag To hear him whining all night long. Yeah, I was me with the doves, set them free by the factory where you built your computer love. I hope you get the connection. Cause I can't take the rejection. I want to see you, I just don't believe you I keep on popping till my ammunition got gone I'm still not happy I feel like there's something wrong I got the revolution blues I see bloody fountains Ten million doomed buggies coming
3: BDS Australia is hosting an online forum featuring boycott, divestment and sanctions. BDS co-founder Omar Barghouti on Saturday, August 29 at 7.30pm. Joining Omar will be First Nations scholars Amy McGuire and Professor Tony Birch, as well as Palestinian Australians Dr. Randa Abdel-Fattah and Ms. Heberfather. They'll be discussing the shared experience of dispossession, state-based discrimination and racism, and how to counter it. Details can be found at bdsaustralia.net.au. That's bdsaustralia.net.au. Boycott Divestment Sanctions BDS Australia is part of the global effort to end support for Israel's oppression of Palestinians and pressure Israel to comply with international law. More details at bdsaustralia.net.au. Yes, Australia is a PCR
0: supporter. To enable
1: change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood, or school. It's fast, free, and simple.
0: Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter.